0: Welcome to season four of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the leaders' conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? Well, this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.
1: And welcome to the leadership educator podcast i'm lauren bullock assistant professor of instruction at temple university
0: and i'm dan jenkins chair and associate professor of leadership and organizational studies at the university of southern maine and we are both thrilled for this episode of the podcast we're joined today by dr yasha Gramantunhu cooper and zach wooten welcome to the show
2: thanks for having us
0: thank you yasha i want to start with with you and let folks learn a little bit about where you're coming from contextually and, and how you got started in leadership education. So I think, and and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because we've had a chance to work with each other quite a bit over the last, last few years, but I think we met when you attended LEA, Leadership Education Academy, in 2015 um, in Orlando. Is that right?
2: It was... Yes, it was in Orlando, and I remember because I was just starting my first tenure-track position at Kennesaw State University, and it was one of those where the semester was starting in like three weeks, and I needed to get a crash course on being a leadership educator, and so I was able to get a slot, and yes, I was one of the very first participants of LEA, which has grown tremendously now in 2021. but yes, that was our first
1: meeting.
0: I was so excited after just... Was so impressed from the moment I met you in Orlando up in 2015, and you know, was looking for any excuse to, to find a way to uh, to collaborate with with you. And we kept running into each other at at conferences, ALE and ILA. After that, um, and was so excited when you applied to be an LEA facilitator, and now we get to work with each other on on that project. And I think we might even have a meeting later today or sometime later this week to to work on some of that. Stuff. Some of that stuff. So it's just been great to learn from you uh, over the over the past few years, and and to to be able to to share some some places and spaces with you as we continue to explore leadership education. So how how did you how did you get into leadership education? You have you have such a an interesting story. I'd love if you would wouldn't mind sharing that with with our audience.
2: Absolutely. So I should start by sharing that it's only recently, maybe in the last month or so, that I've actually. Uh, leaned into the identity of a leadership educator, I just realized that that is actually what I am uh, instead of a leadership studies um, faculty member, and uh, that will come up later in our conversation. However, I started formally um, through my formal education. So I'm a graduate of the doctoral program in leadership studies at Gonzaga University in Washington State. Uh, If you saw the debacle a couple of weeks ago with NCAA, you know that our team didn't quite make it, but I will have to say Baylor just had the better team and um, hats off to Baylor for that performance. But nonetheless, I graduated from Gonzaga in 2013 um, with my doctorate in leadership studies. And when I was at Gonzaga, I realized that I was really steeped in this rich tradition of learning from the Jesuit perspective. Uh, but also really learning about the grand traditions, what John Dugan refers to as grand traditions of um, leadership theories. But I really felt like something was missing because of my own positionality. So I'm Zimbabwean. I was born and raised in Zimbabwe, then I moved to the U.S. um, about 21 years ago now. And I realized that my part of the world wasn't represented in the things that I was learning. Um, I had questions about that. And so upon graduation, I realized that I wanted to really um, bring in my part of the world in conversations about the knowledge production of leadership and leaders. And so that's kind of been my path as um, I've gone through um, my different positions at various institutions. So right now I serve as associate professor of leadership studies at Our Lady of the Lake University in San Antonio, Texas, but I'm at the Houston campus. And previously I was at Kennesaw State University in the Metro Atlanta area. And so if I were to sum up how I come into leadership studies and leadership education, um, I'm really interested in um, questioning how our positionality, how our cultural identities, our social positioning, and even history influences how we accept leadership, but also how we conceptualize it and ultimately how we practice it. Oh, I love that.
1: Well. First off, let me say Gonzaga did a great job and they've consistently been there every year. And as soon as they win, there's going to be people across the country that are super happy for Gonzaga as someone who is in Delaware, like as far as possible as you can get from Gonzaga. So the team was, they, it was okay. And Baylor was cooking. So there's that. Um, The second part is, so I love that you shared like how you didn't see yourself in the studies. And so you started doing work around that. And I think that's so important, um, especially because now that we've kind of established leadership education um, and that it it is a field and there is an identity that you can grasp onto and you can hold that identity. I love now that we're looking at how these other parts, you know, contribute to who we are. Like I remember when I first started running leadership programs, I didn't see any of people of color at all and when I was looking for it I didn't even know they existed and so to hear that that's what you're doing and you're kind of digging into that is so meaningful um before we jump into that because I'm sure it'll come up a little bit I'm really curious about you said like you needed a crash course in leadership education and LEA, LEA was the place for you um, if you had these degrees in this education why did you feel like you needed a crash course I think
2: teaching and learning is something that's missing from doctoral programs, not just in leadership studies, but just in general, we don't have that. And so I think a lot of us are really competent in terms of the conceptualization, and we know the theories, we know the timelines, we know the concepts, but to be able to transfer that knowledge to someone who also has their own ways of producing meaning and questioning and curiosity, I think that takes a level of development that we don't always have have when we graduate. And so I really wanted to make sure that the excitement that I felt about leadership studies, I could share that competently with somebody else who also might be teaching me something about the very subject that I was trying to teach. And so um, as much as I had a great experience in my doctoral program, I wasn't trained as an educator, as a teacher. And so uh, LEA provided me with that. It really was a crash course. Three and a half intense days, and then boom, I was in the classroom like two weeks after that, and trying to make it happen. So, um, yeah, that's really one big thing that I'm seeing that teaching and learning um, is really going to be an important part of being a leadership educator and just the field in general.
1: Okay, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. If you're lucky, you take maybe a, pedagog, a pedagogy class, but I think about in my, so I'm a current graduate student, doctoral student in leadership. I haven't taken a single teaching class, although my research interest centers around faculty-student interaction. So I'm learning in my program, but it's not a requirement, it's because of my research interest. So that makes so much sense that you say that. Um, so, so we've asked you a bunch of questions, Nasha, Zach, we, we have some questions for you. So now you and I are both in Philadelphia, greater Philadelphia area. Um, I haven't run into you grabbing a cheesesteak anywhere. <laughs> um, I don't know that I've seen you at NASPA. Um, I don't know that we've met at an LEA, an LEI, an ALE, all the alphabet soup-like opportunities that there are to meet. And so for those of us in our audience that are like me and have not had the pleasure of meeting you, um, are you able to share a little bit about your background and, and specifically how did you get into leadership education?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. And it's nice to meet you. Uh, nice to, to meet everybody listening. And my uh, name is Zach Wooten and I am currently uh, an adjunct instructor at Westchester University in, in the greater Philly area. Uh, teaching within the Honors College and the minor in civic and professional leadership. And I ended up there after I uh, started my program that I'm still in the midst of at Alvernia University in Reading, Pennsylvania. And the program is is in in leadership. So I'm currently a a PhD candidate. So working on my dissertation, uh, which has been a process and, and one that has been Uh, full of lots of of growth, but I'm excited about overall still. You can tell I'm still early on because I I still feel excited about it. Hopefully that continues. But I ended up at Alvernia University studying leadership uh, initially uh, after uh, taking a a sort of, I guess everyone has an unlikely path in leadership education. No one one that I know grew up thinking that this is what they would do. Um, But looking back, I can sort of trace a through line in my experiences. Uh, one was just being involved in student council and student leadership activities and, and training opportunities uh, from late elementary school on. It was It was always something I was interested in, uh, particularly from a vantage point of service and, and community engagement. Uh, so that was something that always uh, appealed to me. So looking back, I don't think that it was clear to me from the beginning that I would end up in leadership education, but now I can see a through line through my experiences that that makes sense to me in hindsight. And so as a kid, I grew up really involved in leadership activities and especially student government, but also uh, music and sports and just generally wanted to be involved, wanted to be near people and wanted to be helpful. And uh, that's what drew me to a lot of leadership programs from elementary school all the way through, through college. And so the original plan from age 12 on was to be a middle school band director, I wanted to teach music. Um, So education is something that I've always wanted to do. That was, that was clear. Um, I didn't know that leadership education could be a pathway uh, until much later. And so during college, I studied uh, music at first, but ultimately switched and changed to communication studies, uh, which is one of the disciplines that I think is uh, pretty parallel to leadership. It's, it's uh, a major, uh, contributor to the interdisciplinary field. Uh, so that opened up possibilities for me. Uh, and then in my master's program, I studied uh, theology and religion and uh, studied uh, leadership from a very different perspective. Uh, and even in that time found some mentors that would ultimately point me toward leadership education.
0: So Zach, we seem to have lived parallel lives uh, as, as undergrads almost. So what, what was your, were your voice or instrument? What was your, what were you studying?
3: I started as saxophone, and then I switched to voice.
0: I switched to voice. Okay, yeah, so I uh, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I, communications, um, I think, you know, I had made the decision that I, I was going to major in comm, but I, I couldn't decide if I wanted to double major in music or minor in music. I ultimately ended up minoring in music at Florida State. My instrument was piano. My secondary was was tuba because I, I was a marching chief my, my freshman year. But it's funny, Yes. Yeah, so, you know, to ultimately go from, I think I ended up with like 30 something credits in music. And so it, it was like the, I think it was the most credit heavy minor on the entire campus. But, and then majoring in comm, also minoring in English. But, but yeah, there was something about, and I had always, I still think every once in a while, like, eh, if I, I could have a second career after I retire as a faculty member, teaching music would be so rewarding. I mean, I, you know, I'm still taking lessons and just that's such a huge part of, part of my life. So I definitely, uh, it definitely resonates with me. And we'll have to, ch- we'll have to chat more about that next time we, next time we run into each other too. So yeah. So I'm interested a bit about, well, not even a bit, I'm interested a lot about, so y'all reached out to Lauren and I, because you had been participating in a writing group, um, you know, virtual writing group during the pandemic, like how did this come about? And um, maybe, maybe we start there.
2: Sure. Uh, so it's not actually a writing group. It's more um, like a leadership educators lounge, if we had to put a name to it.
3: Okay.
2: We met, and I had to go back to my calendar and look at the exact date that we met. So it was July um, 22nd, 2020. And last year, uh, LEA did um, a series of critical conversations where leadership educators were coming together um, to build community and to talk about what it meant to be a leadership educator at such a pivotal time, not only in the US, but just all over the world in general. So we met at the very first session of the critical conversation series. And that particular one was titled, what does it mean to be a leadership educator right here, right now? And as with a lot of virtual professional development um, opportunities last summer, we had breakout groups where we got to meet and talk to um, others. And so we happened to be in the same breakout room and we were uh, answering the question about, you know the things that we were experiencing as leadership educators at that time. And so one person I think made um, the suggestion that, oh, we should continue meeting and so we thought oh, okay as one does you know you make these promises when people mention stuff like this and so Um, In my mind, I thought we all agreed that we would meet, but maybe there wouldn't be follow-through. But lo and behold, we met the following month, and we've been meeting um, faithfully since um, August of last year. And uh, we meet every month for an hour, typically on a Friday. There's no structural format. It's just checking in, and those check-ins turn into some really good conversations Um, that really tie into our individual identities as leadership educators, but also as the collective. Uh, And we get a lot of ideas um, from those conversations. So uh, it's working. Uh, We have three other colleagues that we meet with. Um, So Amanda Vikramasingh is at Pepperdine University. And then uh, Maria Wajardo is at Soko University in Tokyo, Japan. And John Banter is at Georgia Southern um, University. So that's, um, we don't have a name. So maybe if we had to uh, quickly come up with one I would say The Famous Five because those are the books that I read when I was little and I really like them.
1: Oh, I love that idea. And I I appreciate the the correction too. I I like the leadership lounge too, because it implies that you can sit amongst colleagues who have similar experiences and and not be required to talk just about leadership education. So like Dan and I, um, before we get into any work, we're chatting about what's happening in our lives, how are our families. And and that I I believe is one of the ways you build like really strong relationships so that when you have to ask the questions um, related to work, you, you have that established trust. You have that uh, that rapport there where that person can can help. Um, and you really feel like you're open to listening to that person. So I love that y'all have created this experience. Um, can you talk a little bit, you you keep bringing, you mentioned again, this idea of identities, and it sounds like you have a very, like, um. it sounds like you have a group with very different backgrounds. Can you talk a little bit about kind of where folks are from? And I don't know if Zach, you want to jump in or if Nasha, you want to jump in, but you talk a little bit about where folks are from.
3: Sure. Yeah, I would just say uh, briefly though, it does to me feel like the Fantastic Four, and then I am the new kid on the block because it's such such um all everyone in the group is is uh, so seasoned and experienced and passionate, and um, it's been a wonderful opportunity for me as a student to to have all of these mentors. It functions kind of like a a support group almost at times. So. I feel really grateful to be a part of it, and I think one thing I would add, too, is that it's such an encouraging group uh, and a place where I always look forward to those meetings because it's an opportunity to really uh, just breathe and talk about our unique context and experiences and see things that are different, but also very similar. Um, and so um, Amanda is uh, in, in California, um, and uh, Maria is originally from Colorado, but now lives in Japan and uh, works with international students and international program and leadership. Um, so uh, her perspective, I think, is, is Really uh, interesting in what it means to teach leadership from a, a global perspective too, and then John in, in Georgia on the East Coast, um, and Nyasha in in uh, in Texas now. So it, it's if you think about the time that it emerged as well in July of 2020, there was a lot happening in the world, and since then um, that has not uh, that has not stopped. And so I mean, as of late, um, talking about uh, the rise in um, anti-Asian sentiments and anti-Asian hate actions and speech that has been occurring. And what do we do? How do we bring that into uh, the classroom? There are so so many politically charged but uh, socially necessary conversations that are available to us now. And to me, I'll I'll speak for myself, it's been really helpful to hear how people are opening up those spaces in different contexts and from different uh, social locations as well. And I'll also
2: add that um, we're an interesting group in that we're not all faculty, which I think um, is what is most vocal in leadership education circles, but we have colleagues who are in student leadership development uh, and who have different um, leadership roles within co-curricular spaces. Amanda is actually in an interesting position because she's actually in Vegas, but teaches in California and she works, she's in corporate America as well. And so she has different vantage points depending on the hat that she's wearing. And then uh, John is in student leadership development. And I think Georgia Southern actually just won an award um, for their leadership program, which is really cool to have a colleague who's um, been involved in that work. And then Maria, who I really, really love, um, And I haven't gotten to meet her in person, but she's in Japan, of course. Uh, But she has a very interesting background in that um, she has worked in public service, um, worked for um, Governor Hickenlooper before he transitioned. And she's also a psychologist by training. Um, She was also a Dean um, at Soka University and then now is in the classroom as a faculty member. And then we have Zach who is going through his doctoral journey, but is also in the classroom. And so we have just a rich variety of individuals individuals but also identities that are in this space and so it just reminds me personally of the diversity of leadership educators and how we show up is not necessarily how we started Um, but that's part of you know the gift of being in this space where um, we morph we uh, develop we grow and then we get to share spaces with people who have been on similar and different journeys.
0: I'm so just excited to to learn how y'all are continuing that conversation from from last summer, because I think too, th- there's been this roller coaster of like, okay, we're not going to see each other at conferences, and so how do we continue to build this community? And I think certainly our our group of LEA facilitators put something out there to see what would stick, and it sounds it seems evident that there were these pockets of folks that did follow through, you know, like you, I think it was either one of you had said, well, we committed that we were going to get together after the conference, but you know how that goes. And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, folks don't, don't reconnect. I'm glad that I'm glad that I reached out to Corey, for example, after we met at, at connected at, at LEI all those all those years ago, and and it, it does just take that extra oomph to to follow up with with those folks that you meet to to continue the conversation and and how important that can be. Can you share a little bit about like what what have been some of the other benefits of getting a group like that together and have there been some outputs like and if so what what have some of those outputs been with respect to uh, writing projects or conference collaborations or or what have you or just some really uh, you know impressive or, or interesting things that you've learned that you've been able to bring back to your to your practice
3: i think the first one for me when i when i was thinking about this and reflecting about this experience is when we started meeting it was a very lonely time and this has been a very lonely year And sometimes the business of leadership education and the enterprise of it all can be very lonely. That's what makes um, this podcast so valuable and the associations we're a part of so valuable is it enables us to have uh, relationships in what can otherwise be um, somewhat isolating. We're all out here doing our own thing. uh, And uh, if we don't take the initiative to to talk with others, uh, we lose out on a lot of what the field has to offer. So for me, it made me feel like, Uh, not as alone, Uh, and that was huge just personally and professionally as well, so it it really met a need in that way, and uh, there have been um, other collaborations uh, that have occurred. I I know that John welcomed Maria for a guest speaker slot is one that comes to mind, Uh, and I think that was really special, and uh, oftentimes in our meetings too, we'll celebrate the little wins along the way, And depending on your department and wherever your home base is, um, that isn't always the case to have those moments of celebration. And so I think that's something I was really moved by and impressed by within this small sub-community, this this, uh, leadership lounge, is there's a moment of, yeah, this can be difficult at times, this can be wonderful at times, and we're in it together.
2: I really want to give credit to Amanda My um, Singh because she actually schedules our appointments or our meetings. And so before we finish every meeting, she'll say, okay, uh, let's look at our calendars and we'll schedule the next one. And then she sends out um, the Zoom link. So we know um, that we always have a monthly meeting happening. So it's been helpful to have someone with that gift of organization. Um, but I am remembering two particular conversations that we had that are still um, energizing me and I'm still sitting with. Um, And I think our group is really a manifestation of the concept of brave spaces, um, where we come in with a sense of transparency, but that transparency is received as um, curiosity within relationship. So I remember um, when the January 6th insurrection happened at the Capitol, we were scheduled to have a meeting a couple of weeks later. And I was thinking about how I was going to introduce that into my class. Um, I'm, right now I'm teaching a conflict management course, and I wanted to have a way of acknowledging these rural events that were happening and how they show up within leadership education, because leadership education doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's influenced by the local, social, and global spaces that we inhabit. And so, the question that I took to my colleagues is I said, you know, I'm going to take this risk and I want to make sure that I do it carefully and that my intention matches the impacts that I hope to make. And so we talked through that, what does it mean to talk about this very real thing that just happened on a national scale with a global audience and then I'm trying to bring it to a classroom. um, Where the students probably didn't imagine that they're going to be talking about this in class, and so it was helpful to talk through um, my lesson plan with my colleagues and get feedback about what this might look like, and so I was taking a risk and um, I knew that but having people to bounce ideas off of was really helpful because when I did go into the classroom, um, it went really well because I had the confidence of the feedback that I got from my colleagues. And then the other moment that I'm remembering was when The murders in Georgia happened where um, the eight individuals were murdered, and most of them were um, women of Asian descent. and we were talking about Okay, so how do we then bring this into the classroom another real raw event that's happening in the world, and actually they happened. uh, like 40 minutes from where I used to live. And so um, that was an added layer of processing that I was going through. But we talked about what that meant for us in terms of discussing anti-racism in the class or um, adding the layer of anti-racism in the work that we do. And so we talked about how do we incorporate this into our um, upcoming lesson plans? And so that was a really good conversation. And then um, having Maria who's in Japan, um, give us a perspective that I personally hadn't thought about, you know, we discussed the identifier of Asian American and how that erases the uniqueness of the cultures that we're attempting to identify or label. And so that was another moment of reflection and pausing for me to think about the words that I use, the meaning behind those words and also how they're attached to people and the lives that they lead, and so those two specific conversations for me were moments of learning, unlearning, relearning, which
1: I think is in such an integral part of just being in the leadership education space. Wow, you both shared so much incredible insight um, that that I wonder if people were even aware of, and it's it's the this you know very like. I hate to say simple because I don't think that's the right word, but this very like foundational concept of you have this small community, this group of five folks that you can reach out to, you can test some of your ideas, you can say things out loud without fear of, of harm or retribution, knowing that the folks in that space are designed to help. Um, Nasha, I love that you bring up that the Asian American community concept, because it wasn't until recently that I realized that it's, it's the same thing with like African American, you're lumping a whole part of a population together, when in reality there's so many differences within each of those cultures, and so I love that that those things are now coming to light, and and you're in that space where you can say, okay, well, no, I I have relationships with folks from those communities, and I've had conversations with, and I'm I'm learning, and just as that that knowledge is developing, um, I'm also making sure that I'm engaged and up to date, almost on those conversations, because our students may not feel confident in saying that to us. You know what I mean? Like they may feel it and internalize it, but they're not going to in the classroom say, oh, no, we're not Asian American, we're actually you know and and share something else um i also think it's dynamic that you're seeing you, you talked about the capital insurrection you also talked about the the murders in georgia and those feel like two completely different audiences and so i'm wondering how um in your group how are you like talking through the nuances of the different students that you're engaging with just meaning that um very different populations with what are perceived as very different beliefs. Like how are you kind of peeling out that messiness in those conversations?
2: That's a really good question. And I'm thinking of two of our colleagues um, and the students they work with. So uh, Maria, for example, works with international students. So international to Japan. And uh, it's not unusual for her to have uh, a class full of people in different time zones and in different countries. And from what I've learned from her, she takes on a learning stance as the leadership educator. And so it allows the students to really be the producers of knowledge about what leadership is or is not based on their um, own experiences. And so from her, um, I've definitely learned the idea of um, shared space or co-ownership of knowledge with students um, just based on the richness that they bring from their own um, spaces that they come from and then um, John works with um, students in a curricular and co-curricular setting and um, students who are coming into their own in terms of understanding how the world works and how leadership is embedded in that and so um, I know that he works with a great team to bring uh, different experiences for students that would expose them for example he reached out to Maria to be um, a guest speaker and um, I know they have uh, two different campuses that they work Uh, with. And so that means two different populations of students that they're having to work with and bridging um, those two campuses that he's shared is something that they're continuously continuously working on. Uh, And then I'm now working with doctoral students. Um, These are individuals who are in industry. uh, And my hope is that um, as they continue in industry, some of the things that they've learned about leadership or may need to learn or relearn, um, that they're going back to their industries with a critical perspective and are not complicit in repeating some of those things that we've identified as um, being problematic when it comes to practicing or conceptualizing leadership. Uh, And um, Amanda, I know works with um, undergraduate and graduate students as well from different campuses, but with a focus on global leadership education. And so what we've learned, I think from our um, time together is that the people that we're working with, the students that we're working with, um, are really spread out in terms of their positionality, but also where they are in the world matters. And it influences how they conceptualize and ultimately practice leadership. And so we are walking alongside these different populations and um, sharing our knowledge, but also receiving knowledge from them.
0: That's great. It's so important to be able to have not only that, that sounding board to, you know, to Lauren's point, and, and as you described this, you this 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 brave space, this this safe space, to be able to just say, "Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what we're talking about," and to be able to to process things that are going on around us that are affecting the students that we're that we're going to be working with on on a day-to-day basis. You know, wh- whether we're playing the role of leadership educator or a social justice educator, of just trying to. Give students a, a sounding board and a place as well. You know, you're trying to mo- you're modeling that behavior of like, hey, here's what we do in our own you know communities, or in our own learning communities, amongst amongst professionals, of being able to bounce around some of these these complex conversations and and leave feeling a little bit better about your own capacity to to kind of live in the world along. Side all of these things. I'm I'm curious. You know, we we had Michelle coming Steele on the podcast recently, and she was talking about her. A community of individuals uh, of leadership educators that had all come together as well, and they recently co-authored a positive pedagogy piece and the ILA's uh, Interface newsletter. And I think it's so interesting to hear about these different virtual communities, small groups just getting together, chatting about things, meeting regularly, just just like what we all have described. Like, what what's some advice you might give to folks who are interested in creating something similar?
3: Yeah, I think some of it is take a risk, right? You don't know how people are going to perceive you. You saying that uh, this was fun. Yeah, let's do it again sometime, as was mentioned was mentioned earlier. Um, but try it, even if you don't think that people will receive it right away. If you feel like you found a a small group um, that that works, whether it be like we did through a a breakout session, or if there's one you'd like to create around either a a common interest or or shared idea. Um, Some of the associations have uh, people who can direct you. I know that uh, Nyash has done that for, for me, as someone who's been um, connected with ALE, has uh, connected me to other uh, people who, who share similar interests, other uh, students in leadership and interested in leadership education. And I think whether you form it or it just sort of happens to occur in, in your experiences, um, it requires risk to initiate And then I think also a shared commitment and something that Nyasha is so good at is just naming what is and asking a very direct question of saying, so what should this be like? Um, What do you want this to be? Um, What kind of commitment can we have? And getting those expectations laid early on uh, while also remaining flexible uh, to the the changing circumstances and, and changing experiences of people's lives Those seem like important steps as well.
2: Zach, I would love for you to come talk to my students because there's course evaluations next week. And so if you could (laughs) share a tidbit with them, I would be forever grateful.
1: (laughs) I'll be there. That's so awesome. If you can come to my class as well and just spread the love and maybe we'll just have Nasha come in, we'll Zoom her in for a day so she can say those same things to them. Um, I, I love that you, I love what you shared about your working group and, uh, and I hate to even call it a working group. We'll go back to this idea of a lounge. Um, it sounds like it's challenging the, the norm that you can't connect over virtual spaces. And maybe it's, it was a comfortable at first, but then kind of once we found our rhythm, like anything, we were able to get so many benefits out of this experience, um, as well as this is what would have happened if you were in person anyway, right? You would have gone, y'all are so spread out that you would have gone home and had to meet virtually anyway. And so maybe if, if... people hear more about how productive these groups can be, um, folks can then maybe rearrange how they're engaging with people and maybe be a little more open to um, Zoom or conference calls or whatever electronic platform you have as a way of interacting in between. Um, I think you know, we will return to in-person shortly, hopefully, um, but these are some of the things that we can keep to maintain that connectedness so that we're not just relying on those in-person meetings to see each other those conferences that happen once or twice uh the conferences we end up seeing each other at once a year or so um So that will wrap up our episode of the leadership educator podcast. We thank you both so much for joining and sharing, you know, an inside look at what your group is experiencing and how um, you've been able to benefit and, and, as such be better leadership educators for those that you're engaging with. And we want to end with just wishing you the best of luck as you close out your semesters, as well as um, you know, enter into the summer where um, hopefully you'll be able to, you know, go outside and interact with folks and, and, I hate to say play, but I feel like that's what we all want to do. Like just go outside and kind of have a good time. Um, I say all that to say thank you so much for joining us and we wish you the best. Thanks for
3: having us. Thank you.
0: we would love for you to follow us on Twitter. I'm at doctor, that's D-R underscore leadership. And uh, Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Mrs. Laura J-B. Um, and you can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. And we also encourage you to subscribe and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us.
1: We'd also like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in New Strategy and Management.
0: And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he's currently an associate professor of trumpet, coordinator of jazz and commercial music, and director of ensembles at Coastal Carolina University. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience.
1: And finally, thank you to the Association of Leadership Educators. Check out what ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts.